This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 34. This is Writing Excuses Q&A on character arcs. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Valin. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we have your questions. Ian asks, how do you fulfill your promises about a character arc without being cliche? Good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm oh, come a very on. cliche author. Get on it. Get on it. <laughs> okay, fulfilling problems without being cliche. I don't know if there's a direct tracking line between those. Okay, here's hey, another you know here's, question. Here's, yeah, let me let me let now, me approach it a different way. There's an actually another the next question is by Connor and I think it's the same sort of thing. Okay. How do you subvert a common character arc without it feeling like a betraying a promise to the reader? That's what they're all getting at. Oh, how okay. do you How do you give them what they want without just being obvious about it? Yes. And that's how do the you question. subvert that without feeling like you've deceived them? There are so very very many movies, stories out there, whatever, where the character arc for our main character is uh, discovering the importance of their friends. Um, you know, we see that all the time. If at the beginning of your story, uh, you you know that's where you're headed and you can predict it, if, if that is predictably the resolution uh, you may have cliche problems. You can still fulfill a promise along those lines. Um, you just need to not... I, I use the predictability test all the time. If I can predict a line of dialogue in a movie, then something's probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can predict, oh, you know, this this next scene, this is, this is where they kiss. He's going to drop something. They're going to... Now, let me say, there are certain stories... And readers, where fulfilling the expectation in the way that you anticipate and want is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the story you're telling, the way you, the, the, the promises you make. Some books will promise to subvert expectations, and some prom- books will promise not to. In fact, I remember reading um, through several romance novel uh, entries on Amazon where the description of the book says in big bolded letters, this is a book with a happily ever after and no cheating. And that was repeated on most of the pages I went to in this subgenre. Mm-hmm. Big, bold letters. That is a promise that that trope is not going to get subverted because the reader's looking for this. So you really have to decide, am I trying to subvert things or not? Yeah, I remember when we had Mike Stackpole on the show and he talked about um, writing plots as playing Name That Tune with your readers and how you want to... You want to be just ahead. If they guess the tune too early, then you've lost them. But I do think there's another kind of reader that just wants to sing along with the song because they know right. it so well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I would say this is something that I really enjoy doing is playing Name the Tune with the with the reader. And the way that you make it not feel like a betrayal um, but not like a cliche either is you make sure that this promise can get fulfilled in multiple ways. Yep. 
mm-hmm. and that that the one you pick, it's not necessarily the first one they'd pick, but it's in some way more fulfilling. So you mm-hmm. kind of have to identify what is the need and how do you fill it, and then you promise you're going to fill it in a certain way in the middle of the book, but then you give a better promise. You always yeah. have to do a better job. One, one of the things that I do a lot, we talk about Hollywood formula a lot on this show and how you need to set out knowing what a character wants. I have found that if I can make sure my character really wants at least two things, then I can totally screw one of those up on purpose and you will still be happy when he or she gets the other one. And that's a way of making sure that the character arcs are are you know still driving this plot. Well, and I think if you've invested enough time in making sure that your character is original and unique, then the way that they're going to solve that problem or get to or what we want fulfilled will also be original and unique. You need to write a character that is not like anyone else, and so it makes sense that that character would solve the problem this way. So we've got a, multiple questions on a similar topic, so I'm going to kind of meld them all together. This is uh, from Ben and from Jessica and from Anthony, and they're asking about multiple character arcs in the same story. Uh, do you need to complete each character arc in the same story? Like Jessica asks, for a character in a series, should each book contain a complete character arc, or should the entire series cover one large arc? And then um, the Ben's question um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ben's question is, how do you tie multiple character arcs together when you're writing the first book of a trilogy? A lot of questions about lots of character arcs. How do you interweave them? What do you do? If they all form, and when I think of character arc, I think of the, you know, the narrative curve, that, uh, you know, that bump shape that drops off kind of sharply at the end. Uh, if all of the character arcs in the book follow that same shape, it's going to feel kind of artificial and kind of weird. Um, if, however, uh, all of the arcs are staggered to the point that one person is in crisis at the end of the story and you can tell it's completely unresolved, that may feel unsatisfying. And so what I try and do is find plateaus, you know, stopping points along the arc Uh, along a character's arc where for this story, I can park them there, maybe for the whole story, their arc is not complete. Their arc is six books long, but I can park them there and we'll be happy. Um, And so thinking of it as as tiers along this arc and within a given story, which steps are they moving between? That that model works really well for me. Yeah, as, as as an example, the original Star Wars trilogy... Luke and Han each have an arc in each movie, and it goes and it's completes. Whereas Leia has one larger arc that takes all three movies to to fulfill. All right, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Our book of the week is Fat Angie. Fat Angie by E.E. Charlton Trujillo. One of the things that I love about this book is that it's both funny but just really has some tender moments. It's about a girl who is overweight in high school. Her older sister is in the military and missing. She is the only one who thinks that her sister is still alive out there somewhere. So I think that uh, for a lot of military families, this is might you know 
have a lot of meaning for them. She, in the beginning of the book, has tried to kill herself, commit suicide in front of the entire school, and is working through a lot of those issues of um, just learning to figure out the kind of person she is, the kind of person that she wants to be, what she wants to be known for, and that is not this act that uh, she is currently known for. It's a wonderful romance in in terms of the fact that she's trying to figure out her sexual identity. And I think that the way that the author handles this book is just perfect. The mix of just being so realistic and having the teenage angst of dealing with these really important issues, but um, handling them very realistically. Excellent. So that's called Fat Angie Mm -hmm. by E.E. Charlton Trujillo. Mm -hmm. All right. Questions. Back to questions from the audience. There are several questions about iconic characters. John asks, what separates an iconic character from a caricature? Or a stereotype. Ooh. Interesting. Well, I think that you're still going to make that character unique in some ways. I mean, not everyone is Superman and has the powers that he does and can, has, you know, run as fast as he can and has the super strength. He's an iconic hero and so is James Bond and they have completely different attributes. So I think what defines an iconic character is is when we've discussed this in a previous mm-hmm. episode is just the the situations that they're thrown into and yeah. the way they react to them. Well, and and I think that a caricature is is arguably much more exaggerated and one-sided than an iconic character. You look yeah. at when, if I say Captain Kirk, most people are going to imagine a hotshot who just sleeps with weird alien women and, and disregards the rules. You look at the original series, he is definitely an iconic character. He doesn't change from episode to episode, but he is much more layered and nuanced and interesting than what we tend to think. He is an iconic character. Our vision of him now, looking back, is very caricatured. Right, and I think it's good to separate iconic, meaning not changing, from uh, an archetype, which mm-hmm. an iconic character can totally be. But Mr. Spock is also iconic. He's not changing through that series, but also very layered, very interesting, very in conflict with himself. Um, and so separate those two things in your mind. And if you're worried about cliches and stereotypes, um, build, you can build a character who is not one who still doesn't change uh, if that's what you're interested in doing. If your iconic character can be in your book replaced by an iconic character of similar skill set <laughs> from someone else's series, it might be a caricature. That's, yeah. Um, so next question on iconic characters is, have you ever had an iconic character upon further exploration, exploration become a character in need of an arc? How would you make that transition? Now, this is dangerous because we've talked about how comics basically keep trying to do this and then get forced to reboot um, and things like this, I totally think it's possible. In fact, I see a lot of books, what you will see people doing is there'll be a series where there's a main character and kind of several iconic yep. individuals around them, 
And Mm -hmm. the main character has an arc, and then they write a second book that takes one of these characters that is maybe was a little bit, you know, didn't have an arc in the first book, didn't change, and then they get an arc, and then they get an arc. You can see this in a ton of webcomics in particular. You know, Sluggy Freelance that was just joke a week and then turned into a long story. Same with Sam and Fuzzy. Same with Dr. McNinja. Same with, I think, Schlock. um, Which I gave him a character arc. He's an iconic hero. And then I gave him a character arc and established a new baseline for him. And because it's not it's not a brand like Frosted Flakes or DC Comics, um, I am allowed to keep those changes. I don't have to reboot. I think better examples than comics are death in the Terry Pratchett books. For most of those books, he is always the same character and he's delightful when he shows up. And then we have a book in which death decides to retire for a while and becomes, I think, Bill Dorr. Uh, and it's beautiful. He gets his own little arc. Uh, Hogfather kind of gives him his own little arc. Uh, so yeah, this totally, you can do it. All right. How do you continue a character story after they've completed their original arc? I love this question. So are we talking about sequels? Yes. Or, I okay. think a sequel, you've written a story. Uh, this one didn't have a name on it. Whoever asked this question, good question. You've written a story. The characters had a big, complete arc, and mm-hmm. then you're going to put them in the next book. What do you do? What are your parents' roles in your story? Because when they were teenagers, they were very distraught individuals who were the heroes of their own story, probably every bit as self-absorbed as the average teenager. But now that you're growing up or that you're an adult, what are your parents' roles in your story? Uh, Because fundamentally, I think that's the question that's being asked here. When you've, you know, when we emerge from, from our period of change and stabilize, what do we become to the next generation of heroes? Or even if, if you look at it in terms of a shorter time frame for, you know, like a young adult book, you're looking at maybe just a like a few months sometimes from beginning to end. But the arc suggests that their character starts in one place and grows and becomes something else. And so I think that you just look at what are the, like this person is now not exactly the same person they were before. They are, you take that character and what they've learned and then throw them in a new situation and see mm-hmm. how what they've learned can affect whatever they're going into next. Yeah, a lot of the time when this is a problem, it's because the character was originally designed around one specific conflict and there's not enough depth to keep going. You look at what happened with Data in the Next Generation movies. Once he finally got emotions, the writers had no idea what to do with him. And compare that to, say, Oz in the Buffy series, who went through tons of different phases of his life and completed long character arcs, but he was an interesting enough and layered enough character that the writers were able to say, well, what can we do with him next? And that's why I use the parent example. Parents are not, you know, it doesn't have to be that kind of a time frame. It can be a fairly short time frame. Um, They are, for many people, sources of stability, sources of rescue, sources of advice. They are, for other people, sources of continual conflict because they disagree with them. When you have a character who has completed their arc, if you want to tell a story about a character arc, you're telling somebody else's story. 
And the character who has completed their arc features into that story in some way that's critically important. Uh, last question comes from Kalika. Uh, they ask, how much does a character need to change in their arc? Does it always have to be a major permanent life redefining change? I don't know if that's always realistic, but I think it needs to be enough that you can see a difference. Satisfy me. I if If you've promised me that this person is going to be changed by the experience in this book, um, I... I have to be satisfied that a change has occurred. It can be a tiny thing. It can be a big thing. It, it, I guess it depends on the conflict. It depends on the character. Mm -hmm. It depends on the length of the yeah, story. I, I think figuring out what you want to do so that you can present the right conflict and make the right promise. You know, if you set us up where this person's conflict is that they are a terrible person who can't connect with everyone else because they're mean all the time, and then they end the story still a terrible person and mean all the time, you haven't resolved the conflict or kept the promise you made in the beginning. Uh, if you present that same character, but give us a different conflict that is smaller and less life-changing, then okay, I'm willing to go along with them still being a jerk at the end because you've still resolved the thing you told me you were going to resolve. Right, and I don't think you, I don't think everything has to be magically perfect in the end. I just want to see some change, some growth. Mm -hmm. All right, we're out of time. Thank you guys so much for sending in your questions. These were great questions. Dan has a writing prompt. Yes, I do. Did you forget? Yes. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> I warned you. I time. know, I know. Um, I don't have a writing prompt. Howard, do you have a writing prompt? I did at the beginning of the episode, but then Dan assured us that he- uh, I assured he totally no one. I merely said, okay. <laughs> he said, I've, you said, I'll have this by the end. I'm <laughs> on this. You, I felt very assured. Dear listener, we actually, before recording this, talked about how we used to blindside our guests with writing prompts. And so Brandon is taking great delight uh, in now doing it to us. I'm even happy. though it's technically not even blindsiding because he told me. Um, I want you to write, dear listener, um, a story in which Brandon asks someone for a writing prompt and that person is unprepared, and then Brandon receives great karmic justice. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Pretty savage there. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess I'll allow Alternat it. Alternatively? <laughs> al alternatively. I didn't say which side of karma Brandon yeah, yeah, was on. Yeah. Alternatively. Do an image search on mountains. Trace a mountain onto a piece of paper. Now make that outline up the arc for your character. This has been Writing Excuses. I hope we didn't give you <laughs> excuses. <laughs> um, now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 